You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. In spite of all of that, and because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So God goes down to the depths. When we were dead, he makes us alive. When we were dominated and uh, in thrall and under the dominion of the kingdom, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work amongst the disobedient, when our life was characterized by not obedience to Christ, but by disobedience to God, And when we were under the wrath of God for all of these things, our great Lord came and took our place, dying for us because of his great love. Paul says God is rich in mercy. When someone is rich, they have uh, plenty at the end of the month, not so much, uh, what does it say? Too much month at the end of the money. That's not the way when you are rich. Uh, You don't have to worry about the end of the month. You don't have to worry about um, unexpected expenses coming your way. Um, You don't have to worry if the washing machine breaks down because you can afford to go and buy a new one. One of the things, interesting enough, um, that I'm doing in surveying work on the Scottish Household Survey is asking people, the government is asking people, uh, a random selection of them, have you got enough money for an unexpected emergency? And it is surprising how few people in Scotland actually do have money for an unexpected emergency. Have you got money in a savings account? It is surprising how few people in Scotland do have that. But if you are rich in something, you have plenty of it. And God is rich in mercy. This is how you see some of the dimension of his love, the depth of his love. God's mercy is not exhausted by rescuing one poor little sinner. God doesn't run out of mercy when he comes to a difficult case. Uh, Here, bring me the file on Ferguson. Not Sinclair, but the other one. Bring me this file. Let me see. Oh, dearie me, I think we're going to have to put him off to the next month because we haven't got enough to quite cover him this month. That's not the way God works. God's God's mercy is, is rich and bountiful. He has a huge store in his great love for us of mercy. Therefore can rescue us from all and every trouble that we get ourselves into. And unlike the good Samaritan who paid in the currency of silver and gold, the one and true and great Samaritan paid in a different currency. It was not with silver and gold that you were rescued from the the uh, futile way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, says Peter, but with the blood of Christ. And my friend, um, I call him Billy Bridges, the, the one who wrote a lifting up of, for the downcast, says in, in, a, in one of these places is to trust in the, ex, the extravagant love of God. See how he has emptied his purses for you. Look at his empty veins. And he is saying, look, 
God has expended all his wealth to rescue you. This is how deep the love of Christ and God is for you. The depths that he went to rescue in mercy. And then there's the other side which um, helps us to see the height to which his love has gone. And that's the idea of grace. Grace also has an idea of rescue. But there's more than that. There's also, I believe, the the element of reward. Not a reward that we we, um, have earned. But a reward that God gives because he wants to give. Because he's rich. Because he's generous. Because he's kind. A reward that we could never work for and never deserve. And in his grace, he lifts us up. Raises us with Christ. Seats us with him in the heavenly realms. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It is by grace you have been saved. Salvation has four great five, four or five great moments. I don't know how many I'm going to count tonight. There is the moment of eternity where before the world was created, we were chosen in Christ to be saved by him. Then there is the moment in history when Christ died on the cross, was put into the tomb and was raised to life. The next great moment of our salvation. And then there's the, the moment when that truth becomes real in our lives and by faith we claim that promise that God has promised to us from before the foundation of the world and then there is the future when the consummation of our salvation is achieved when we see Christ and are made like him because we see him as he truly is and no more to sin no more to to disobey always to glorify him fully forever and ever and ever and the grace by grace you have been saved that's pointing forward to that last moment of our salvation as well as pointing back to the earlier moments of our salvation mercy takes us up to rescue but grace takes us further on to reward it's not just that we have been uh, rescued from all our doom it's more than that we have been not just restored to, to life and obedience more than that we have been rewarded with adoption which we do not deserve. We are brought into the heavenly places where Christ is and we're called his children, which we do not deserve. And God pours out his great love upon us day upon day and will for all eternity pour out his gracious love, giving us rewards that will surprise us day after day after day after day till an endless age of ages and every day better than the one that comes before. How great is the love of God. How high is his love to to raise us up to be with Christ, to be his children and to call him father. It's an amazing thing. Give me a real illustration of something of what I mean by the grace taking us beyond restoration and renewal. When I was a teenager, we had a knock on the door on the farm, and it was Sergeant McGee. Um, There was a bit of trouble. Seemingly, uh, there was a pair of Dr. Martin boots that had been left in the cloakrooms for about two months. Nobody had claimed them. 
but my brother had claimed them. And eventually, uh, two months later, that was four months after they first were left there, uh, the parent of the boy that had these boots said, where are these boots? And so inquiries went, and they wanted them back. Um, they, he said, look, we'll say no more about this, so long as you just return them. So he did. Unfortunately, Keith, my brother, um, didn't like red Dr. Martins, and he dyed them black. So when they went back, the parent, not the child, the parent again said, these were originally red boots. These are now black. We need red boots. So to let you understand, although we lived on a farm, we, we may have been asset rich. We owned a farm, but we were uh, money poor. In fact, we didn't have a pig uh, available to sell at that particular time. We lived off my father's invalidity benefit month by month. And to buy a new pair of Dr. Martins would have been a bit of an expense for us. I was the only one that actually had any money because I'd been working as a gardener for a teacher. And so it was up to me to rescue my younger brother, much against my will. Um, and I went and I bought a pair of Dr. Martin red boots and went to Och with them and put them right under the nose of the grumpy old fisherman that had demanded them back. Um, now, here's an example of mercy, not from my point of view because it was very unwilling. Um, Keith paid the price. He had to give them back. There was restoration in that the new boots were brought there. But true grace, if I could only end this story in a way that looks really good, true grace would have bought a second pair of Doc Martens and given them to Keith. But I didn't because I wasn't a Christian and I hadn't got the money either. God not only restores us, not only pays the price of our rebellion in the cost of Christ's blood, but he raises us beyond restoration to adoption as his children and rewards us with an amazing love, day by day, and week by week, and year by year. I want you to turn over with me now to that second passage uh, again in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. And in a sense, there's been an interlude uh, between what he's just said uh, about... Um, being made alive in Christ. But he's coming back to the same theme here. He's stopped to think about the oneness that we now have, the promise that we share now with Israel, one in Christ. And that hints to us of the breadth of God's love. But he's coming back again to love here in this, in this little section that we just read. The greatness of God's love. And praying that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To know his love, we have to be rooted and grounded in his love. To know the greatness of God's love, we need one another to help us understand the greatness of his love. To know his love, we need Holy Spirit power to grasp, 
to get a hold of the dimensions of the greatness of God's love. Rooted and established in love. When you plant something, you have to heal it into the ground. Reasonably, reasonably firmly, not too, not, too, um, not too firmly, but reasonably firmly. So that when you come along, you can't simply pull it out. Plants don't like to be uh, left, I'm told. Um, my wife will, will, will dispel any illusion that I'm a gardener. But I'm told plants don't like to be left shaking in the ground. They want to be firm in the ground so their roots can then move. Paul wants his listeners to be firm, to be rooted into the love of Christ, to, to set our roots firmly into that confidence that we are loved. And out of that rooting of being loved, to go on to be established and to grow in the knowledge of God's love. We need one another to understand the dimensions of God's love together with all the saints for a number of reasons. We need one another because it's only when we rub up against one another that we realize um, we're not such gracious, uh, loving, merciful people that we thought we might have been. And so we learn to love in that negative way through one another, through the knowledge that comes to us through one another. But it's not just that negative way that we need one another to understand the love of God. Each person who believes in Christ has a unique relationship with Christ and I believe a unique knowledge of God through their own experiences. And this will keep us busy for a long part of eternity just listening to one another's stories and understanding something new, some new reflection and refraction of the light of God's love coming through each single one. For each person has a different story of God in their life. will have a different showpiece to show. If you can think of a museum of faith and you've got the stories of our lives of faith going round the museum... Each one will reflect a different story and understanding of the dimensions of God's love. And when you add all of these things together, there is something that is even more than the sum of all the parts. And we will praise and praise and praise the greatness of his love. I pray that you, rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp to get a hold of, to get an understanding of, not just a knowledge, head knowledge, but to get a grasp in terms of life knowledge of the dimensions of God's love for you. It's one thing to know the theory. It's another thing to rest in the knowledge and the reality of God's love, which we were being reminded about last Sunday evening and the love of the Father and how he wants us to rest in his love and simply to know him. How wide and long and high and deep. We've looked at the height and the depth of God's love. Hinted at the width. God's love is not a narrow love that's limited to a particular nation with a particular language in a particular place. His covenant, yes, was with Israel. 
But his plan all along was for Israel to be his evangelists and for the world to be blessed through Abraham's descendants. And God's love is not limited to one nation, but to all nations. It's extended to all peoples. You don't have to be a particular color, speak a particular kind of language or accent. God welcomes all people of all kinds everywhere. His love is broader than the measures of our mind. And we need to be reminded of that, especially when it comes to our evangelism and our mission. That God has a deep love for the unlovely parts of Dundee, as well as the more salubrious areas. That God has a deep love for the unlovely people of Dundee, as well as the more... um, I was going to say salubrious people, but no, along as the more lovable people, if there are such a thing in Dundee, that God, I'm from Insture, so I can say that. God's love is wide and broad, not narrow and confined. And one of the marks, I believe, of a healthy congregation or fellowship is the breadth of characters that you get in a fellowship. Some people don't like uh, places where you've got odd people, in quotes. But I think the more oddments that you have in a fellowship is a sign that there's a breadth of God's love going on there, that there's a breadth of love and acceptance within the fellowship for people that are more themselves and not just a clone of the next person. A place where those who are the kind of broken Uh, carrying a broken wing with them those who are not fully together where they too can find a home and a place and an acceptance in the love of God through the love of the people for them there's a mark of, of something special when you have that kind of fellowship which um, I'm getting to know that there are quite a few odd people in, in our fellowship here praise be to God and uh, I started that all off when I came here the width of God's love, so much broader than we often uh, can give credit for. The height and the depth. But think also of the length of God's love. That God perseveres with his disobedient children. That God goes on and on and on through high and low, through good time and bad time, through car accident through graduation, through marriage, through illness, even through death of a loved one, that God perseveres in his love from young to old, from the first early born, from Louis, to the oldest in our fellowship, from obedience and disobedience Back to obedience. God's love never fails. His love never fails. How long is the love of God for you, for me, for us? So Paul prays that we may grasp something of these dimensions. Of the width and length and height and depth of the love of God. So that, for what purpose? We might say, if you're a modern um, contemporary church planter, you might say something like, well, you need to know the love of God so that you're better equipped for evangelism. 
Or you might say, we need to know more of the love of God so that you're better equipped to worship and to lead people in worship. Because those that know the love of God will express the love of God in the way they lead the worship of the people of God. We need to know more about the love of God so that the givings will be better. Because people who are loved by God will be generous. You might say, all of these different reasons why we need to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, I pray that you may have power to grasp these dimensions of God's love, that you may know the love. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. To be filled with all the measure of all the fullness of God. God exists in love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God exists in a perfection of love. The fullness of God is measured by the fullness of his love. Ultimately, there is only one thing that matters, Paul says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And the measure of fullness, the measure of maturity, will be the measure of our knowledge of and expression back of the love of God. Who is equal to this? None of us. But thanks be to God, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So, so what then? What, what are the applications of knowing the greatness of God's love? Despite what I've just said, it is a great inspiration and power for evangelism God loves the unlovely he loved me he loves me God loves the unlovely and those that don't know him and the more we know the greatness of his love the more as Craig was praying we will have a desire to share his love with those that don't know his love it is an amazing thing that God loves those that don't yet know him in Charleston where we have the Aspire project and in other places in Dundee where the work of the gospel is going forth like Lochie and the Baptist church plant there and like Grace in um, <clears throat> Mingus Hill God loves these people and knowing the love of God impels us to do something for them to serve them and to be there for them. Yes, it's an important thing. But ultimately, there isn't, as I said, a huge application to be made about how we need to change our lives. Ultimately, the challenge is, do we know his love? Do we rest in his love? Here's another quote from... <clears throat> This time from another Puritan writer, uh, Dickie Baxter, or Richard Baxter. He's talking about the eternal rest and about the end of all things. There shall be no more prayer, because no more necessity, but the full enjoyment of what we prayed for. Neither shall we need to fast and weep and watch any more, being out of reach of sin and temptations. Preaching is done. The ministry of man ceaseth. Sacraments become useless. The laborers are called in because the harvest is gathered, the tares burned, and the work finished. 
God, the unregenerate past hope and the saints past fear forever. You see, there will come a time when all work will cease, when evangelism will cease, when preaching will cease, when prayer will cease. And what will be left? Love for God and enjoying his love for us. To his glory forever and ever in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.